who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! Shadows at the Door is an audio drama podcast designed to scare and delight you. While rarely explicit, it is nonetheless produced with an adult audience in mind. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4. Now, so far in this season, we've brought you another chapter in the Professor Troughton story, a new take on Slenderman, and a classic M.R. James story. And today, we have something a little different, and rather exciting. Yes, we have a brand new story from Stoker Award-nominated writer and friend of the podcast, Gemma Amore. Now, in Season 1, Gemma brought us the story Let Sleeping Gods Lie, and listeners asked for more. And we delivered. So, well, Gemma did. As such, we are proud to present our first guest writing spot of Season 2. David and I also invited Gemma to join us for the after-story discussion. Do listen to that if you want to hear a mutiny unfold. But for now, on with this delightfully macabre tale, which Gemma has named Message in a Bottle. Woo! <laughs> 
Look at that stupid dog. He's completely soaked. Baxter! Baxter! Come on out of the ocean, you daft thing, you filthy! He's having fun, leave him be. Well, you can give him a bath later then. Fine, you can cook dinner then. Well, I mean, it is my turn. Do you fancy spaghetti bolognese? Is it Sunday, David? At the risk of falling for a trick question, yes, you know very well it is. Then spaghetti bolognese it is, because you always cook on Sundays and you always make spaghetti bolognese. I already brought the ingredients and left them out for you. Well, that's what you call teamwork, I guess. I prefer to think of it as a symbiotic relationship. Is that what it's called? No, <laughs> no, love. That would imply that one of us is a parasite. Actually, now that I come to think of it... Oi, you cheeky bastard. Oh, God, what's he found now? He's barking at something in the water. I don't know, I can't tell from here. Dead seal? No, no, it's too small to be a dead seal. Let's go catch up with him. Calm down. Calm down, for God's sake, dog. And whatever it is that you got there, let go. Baxter, drop it. Now. Baxter, drop, drop it. it. What is it? It looks like a bottle. Oh, cool. I wonder if there's a message inside. Oh, don't be daft, Eddie. That only happens in... Oh, wait. Hang on. Wait a minute, you you might actually be right for once in your life. Well, wouldn't that be amazing? No, no, there's definitely something in here. I, I can't see through the glass very well. It, it's too dirty, and, and the stopper is sealed up tight. Look, it's an old-fashioned glass one. Ugh, it's all crusted over with salt and barnacles and... Ah, ugh, goo, stuff, ooh, mmm. Need to get rid of it before working on the stopper. Oh god, it's all over my hands now. That's gross. Don't want that stuff on me, you horrible beast. I'm not a dish rag. Wash it off in the sea. There, that's better. Well then, looks like I have to figure out a way of getting in here without damaging the bottle. You could just smash it. Look, there's a rock. The bottle isn't the important thing. It's the note inside you want. Are you kidding? This is old. You can tell by the shape of the bottle. Maybe hundreds of years old. I'm not going to smash it. It might be worth something. No, let's take it home. Soak it in some warm water and soak for a bit. See what happens. Have you got a plastic bag? Here, use this. Thanks, love. Oh, come on, dog. Let's get you and this old thing home. Give you both a bath, eh? What's up with Baxter? God knows. Come on, stupid dog. Your bath awaits. Good and proper, I promise. And whatever you've got inside you, I'll get to it. I have to do. 
Oh, if I have to do this all night, I'll get that note. Yeah. I almost got that horrid goo off of the stopper. Come on. Yeah, almost that. Right, that's it, I think. Yeah, oh, all the crusty, sticky crap is gone, so all I've got to do now is try and lever this stopper out somehow. Yeah, come on, come on. Maybe I need something sharp to poke under the stopper rim. Let's just see. Uh, let me try this. Oh, come on, you bastard. Come on. I know you've got something juicy for me inside you. I can see it flapping around in there through the glass. I refuse to let a sodding bottle get the better of me. I will find out what's in there, even if it... I'll bugger it. Whoa, whoa, what'd you do that for? I thought you said it was valuable. I lost patience with it. Well, I can see that, yeah. I mean, look at this mess everywhere, though. We'll have to keep Baxter out of here. But look, Eddie, there was a note in the bottle. David, there's glass everywhere. You don't want it... Oh, ow, ow, damn it, damn it. Bloody bastard thing. You okay? No, I'm not okay. I've got a flaming glass splinter in my finger. Ow! God, that hurts like billio. Oh, yeah, and don't say I told you so, or I'll throttle you. That's a bit extreme, darling. Here, let me see. Hey, get off! You'll just make it worse. Don't touch me! Fine. I was only trying to help. Saw you out yourself, then. Oh, look, I'm sorry, Eddie. I didn't no. mean to... No, it's fine. You're a big boy. You can handle it yourself. Now, if you'll excuse me, I don't feel too well, David. I'm going to bed. <laughs> mm, okay. You coming? No. No, I think I I think I'll stay down here for a bit. I hope you feel better soon. Thanks. Night. So there was in fact a message in the bottle. The chances of it still being readable after all this time are pretty slim, I know, but still Okay, so let's do this. Hmm. God knows how old it is, but it looks like like parchment. Hmm. I should be careful unrolling this, it might disintegrate. It looks very fragile. Oh wow, there is writing. Some of it's gotten a bit damp, maybe condensation inside the bottle at some point. Yeah, I can't read this section here or, or there, but but some of it is still legible. Unbelievable. The handwriting is old. Maybe old English? I can make out some of the words. They are just spelt a little differently to modern English. Hmm. Oh, I think this bit here is Latin. <coughs> Morteque malorum. Huh. I wonder what that means. 
Morteque Malorum. I'll be quiet, Baxter. Eddie's trying to sleep. Stupid dog. Should have had him neutered. That would have sorted him out. It's got a ring to it, though. Morteque Malorum. Morteque Malorum. I'm fairly sure Morteque means death. At least Morte sounds like Mortem, which I think is Latin for death. Eh... Uh, maybe I should just Google it, save myself the misery of wondering. Oh, my fingers sore. Should see to that splinter, really, but. Uh, more. Techway. Malorum. Okay. Search. <laughs> shit! That... Oh, fuck that shit. Oh, that scared the life out of me. <laughs> no idea what that was. I'm a bag of nerves today for some reason. Oh, oh no. And my phone is smashed. Great, not only smashed, but it won't turn on either. Wonderful, glorious, spiffing, top-notch. Oh well, maybe it's time I got a new one anyway. Especially if it's going to freak out and make horrible noises at me for absolutely no apparent bloody reason. Yes, Baxter, that's exactly how I feel too. One injured finger, one broken bottle, one smashed phone, and all I have to show for it is a smudged old piece of parchment with a cryptic phrase on it. And I still don't know what it means. <sighs> Bedtime for me, I think. Better put this parchment somewhere safe first. Uh, yeah, I'll wrap it in this tea towel for now. Yeah, find a shoebox. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, why do we still have this? Yep, there we go. Um... Yeah, Mortequem Malorum. Jesus, David, get the alarm. Just a second. Thank you. Good sleep. How's your hand? I did sleep well, thanks. And. Oh, right. Oh, my David, your hand! Is that the one with the glass splinter? It, it's gone, it. No. It doesn't look right, does it? No, it doesn't, Eddie. Thanks for that. It's... It looks like dead skin around the wound. It's all... It's all black and hard. But it, it can't have gone that bad. Not already. Oh, I need some tweezers. Wait. Didn't you pull the splinter out last night before bed? Or did you just leave it to fester in there overnight? I, I was preoccupied. I, I dropped my phone and Baxter started howling and I... I, I just forgot. Honestly. I sometimes feel like you've forgotten how to be an adult, David. No wonder it looks horrendous. God knows what kind of dirt and filth from that manky old bottle has gotten into you as well. Stay there. I'll, I'll get the tweezers. Jesus. 
David! David, get in here now! What is it now? Honestly, can't we just get through one single day without some sort of drama or... Oh my god. What the... What the hell is this? You tell me, David. What? You came to bed after I did. You don't think I did this, do you? Well, who else would it be? Baxter? I think even he would find it difficult to write the same two words in giant red letters over and over again on the walls of our bathroom, David. I mean, let's skip over the fact that his Latin is a bit rusty. What the hell were you thinking? What does it even mean? Morteque malorum? Is this idea of some sort of highbrow joke? I didn't write this on the walls, for God's sake. I came to bed not long after you. I have no idea... I have no idea where this came from, I'm telling you. Well, perhaps you must have done it in your sleep, babe. I didn't write it, and Baxter certainly didn't write it. And the only other alternative is that someone broke in and wrote this nonsense all over our bathroom walls. Which, quite honestly, I don't even want to entertain as a viable notion. Here. Here are the tweezers. I'm going to get some cleaning stuff. Scrub this all off. Eddie, can you do me a favour? What, you mean aside from clearing up your mess? I really need you to Google something on your phone for me. I tried to last night and my phone broke. So you said you dropped it. I dropped it because it made this hideous noise when I tried searching for something. I'm, I'm wondering if you can try. Now? Yeah. This minute? Yeah. Oh, fine. What is it? Well, it's what's written on the walls, actually. Um, and here's the thing. Uh, <clears throat> These same two words were, well, they were kind of written on the note I found inside the bottle. You're not serious. Deadly. Okay. I still think this is some weird, elaborate prank you're trying to pull on me, but fine. I'll go get my phone. Okay. I have my phone. You better not be messing with me, David. I'm very tired and I've got a lot to do today. Plus, I have a sore throat. Do you... Do you really think I wrote this in my sleep? I mean, what with? We don't own any red marker pens, do we? You... You don't... You, you don't think it's... Oh, for God's sake, babe, it's not blood. Look. I don't know what it is, but I do know it's not blood. Here, I'll taste it to prove it to you. No, don't, don't do that. Hmm. Hmm. Doesn't really taste of anything at all. Very bland. Not going to take off as Ben and Jerry's next ice cream flavour, that's for sure. Definitely not blood. So whatever you wrote all this stuff with must be in the house somewhere. Now then, why do you want me to Google this? It was on the note in the bottle. I, I want to know what it means. If I did write this in my sleep, there has to be a reason why. Fair enough. Here goes. Mortequa Malorum. Search. Here we go. Oh, lovely. What? Mortequa Malorum means death from evil things. What? Uh, and how come your phone works when mine... Shh. I'm reading. Yeah. 
According to this, it translates as just that, death from evil things. I found an excerpt here from a web article about oh, medieval curses, if you can believe that. Curses? Mm-hmm. It says here that cursing another person was quite a common practice during the Middle Ages. Medieval librarians used to add curses into their books even to prevent people from stealing or damaging them. They went into great detail about what would happen if you didn't bring the book back because they were so valuable then. It's why so many books had chains attached to them in medieval libraries, something being nicked all the time. A curse was just another way to protect them, I suppose. Oh, look. Oh, oh, here's a good one. Whomsoever shall steal this book or take it away, let him be roasted in a frying pan. May the falling sickness and fever attack him. May he be rotated on a breaking wheel and hanged. Amen. Blimey. Nice. Oh. Yeah, look, here we go. I found the use of the words in context. It's from a book curse found on a manuscript with a commentary on the harmony of the Gospels from Evesham Abbey. Listen. Morteque malorum, raptor libri moriatur. Ah, oh, and here's the translation. Death from evil things, may the thief of this book die. Huh. Actually, that's kind of cool. Imagine some little old monk scribbling horrible curses onto books and parchment with a quill pen by the light of a tallow candle. <laughs> so, you're telling me the note in the bottle was a, a curse? Well, looks that way. If you believe in that sort of thing. Which I don't. It's only an old bit of paper, after all. Don't tell me you believe in any of that stuff. Really? After all these years together and suddenly you're superstitious. I just... I really don't remember writing this stuff on the walls, Eddie. I've explained that, silly. You were sleepwalking. This stuff was fresh on your mind and you found an old marker pen or something and went all Picasso on the walls. It's fine. Weird stuff happens every now and then. It doesn't mean you're cursed. Curses aren't real. They're old superstitious traditions for a time when this stuff was more commonplace. They thought witches were real back then too. Remember? <coughs> oh goodness. I seem to have a frog in my throat all of a sudden. Yeah, this is what happens when I don't have my morning coffee within ten minutes of waking up. <coughs> it's it's just weird things have been happening since we found that bottle, and I sorta of wish I'd never brought the damn thing back. Plus my finger, it really hurts. <coughs> Let me see. Yeah, we need to get that damn splinter out as soon as possible. Oh, God, David. Look, the dead skin has spread. How is that even possible? It, it looks... It looks... <laughs> necrotic. Eddie, are you okay? You've gone very red in the face. <laughs> Eddie? <laughs> we need... <laughs> to get... Splinter! <laughs> Eddie, speak to me, you're scaring me. Eddie, you're choking. Eddie, Eddie, wake up. Eddie, Eddie.
I know Baxter. I miss him too. Yes, dog, we can go home in a bit. I know it's cold. It's just... We have something to do. Remember that old bottle you found here just two weeks ago? Yeah. Feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Well, I did a stupid thing, Baxter. I took it home and I smashed it and I found some parchment inside it. And instead of leaving well enough alone, I took that parchment out and read what was written on it. And then... Well... And then... And then Eddie died. And my hand, well... I lost that too. At least it wasn't my throwing hand. It, it's nothing compared to... Well... I'd happily chop off every limb of my body to get Eddie back if I could. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. I'd, I'd better get on with it. I hope this is the right thing to do. I, I don't know, dog. What do you think? I mean, it came out of the sea. Makes sense to put it back into the sea where we found it. I know it's a different bottle, but at least I sealed it up tight. And yes, before you ask, I did try to destroy the parchment. I tried burning it, blending it, pouring acid and bleach on it. I tried microwaving it, shredding it. Nothing worked. Not a thing. And so this is the only thing I can think of to do. Stick it back in a bottle and throw it back in the sea. Okay. Ready? Yeah, me too. There. Good riddance. So let's go quickly before... What's this? It looks like a... like a bottle with... with a message inside. I do wonder what it says. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. During Women's History Month, come explore what feminism means to you with nonfiction storytelling podcast, Thread the Needle. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. That was Message in a Bottle, written by Gemma Amor. And I am joined, and I'm sure he appreciates me saying this, by the entire cast, Mr. David Alt. Finally, thank you so much. It is so good to be back to the old team again. <laughs> just the two of us. Uh, and just, just you know, me as the entire cast in the episode. It's, it's like season one. It's great. I can't believe Jake and Alana, Erica and Gemma all had those terrible accidents. At the same I know, time. I know. It was yes. Uh, well, you know, you shouldn't be playing with um, pylons or anything like that. Um, and and... <laughs> so, you know, we'll know if David kills anyone because they'll all die the way that doctors have regenerated. Uh... <laughs> Jake had to absorb all of that radiation. Um, Alana had to absorb yep, the yep. time vortex. Mm-hmm. It's true. And and you've lost me now. And Gemma, was a, it was all those spiders. Uh, that, As a long, know. long-term, never-seen Doctor Who um, person, I have no idea what you're talking about at all. So listeners may remember, and if you don't remember, you should remember, that Gemma wrote the fantastic story, That Sleeping God's Lion, Season 1. And in the discussion, I found it a little strange to speak for Gemma. So, um, being a good feminist, I decided not to erase Gemma's voice, and we invited her on to thank her and talk about, and me be threatened by her good writing <laughs> in season two. That's such a nuanced statement, Mark. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there, but I'm, I'm going to say thank you anyway for having me. 
<laughs> well, this is it. It's like, and then whenever we invite the guests on, it's like, well, what if you're wittier than me? Which is going well, to happen. Well, and then there is a very, very real possibility that might happen. True. But um, I think you're just. You're just going to have to suck it up, buttercup, and deal with it. Um, talking of um, Sleeping God's Lie, I might revisit that particular character. I rather liked writing about archaeology and Egyptology, and I rather liked his character. Mm. I thought I might return to him at some point, although I don't want to uh, do a Troughton either. Mm. I think there's a, a recurring Troughton storyline. I don't want to mirror that too much. Mm. But um, it's a shame they live in different time periods, almost. Well, this is true. Maybe he's an ancestor, maybe an old ancestor of Troughton, perhaps. Oh, <laughs> and like Russell T. Somewhere. Davis, the ancestor will sound and look identical. <laughs> I mean, they do sound very similar. <laughs> yeah. The the archaeologist is a little bit more. Um, uh, he's he's got a slightly more posh voice than Troughton. He has. I think there's something about that, though. I think there's something about the fact that Shadows at the Door is such a British or English or whatever the correct term is sounding show in that kind of more classical style that the the themes of history keep popping up, I think, in my stories. And I like that because they, they come across quite... It's quite an evocative thing, isn't it? Historical horror. Mm, mm-hmm. I think that works quite well for Shadows at the Door because of the, the music and the pacing and the voices. So. We've got a niche. Yeah. I think that's what I tried to do, segueing into the story, oh. uh, with this story, um, because I I remember reading um, about two things which fascinated me, which things that always fascinated me, is the um, the concept of a chained library, like an old medieval mm. library in a cathedral, mm. or um, there's various remaining libraries in Europe, where the books are kind of chained to the shelves with these big, thick, heavy chains. And um, I think uh, Game of Thrones had a a scene in a couple of libraries where the books were all chained in. And yep. Just very evocative imagery. Mm. And the history behind it is that books in those days were so um, valuable that they had to be chained to the shelves to stop people from stealing them. It, it, te- it took years and years and years to put a book together in those days. Everything was handwritten on parchment or vellum and hand-illustrated by monks and bound in leather. So they were highly valuable objects. Um, and then that, I, as I fell down that research rabbit hole for this story, um, I came across the idea of uh, book curses, medieval book curses. Yeah, so I came across the idea of book curses and uh, I found out that it was quite common in the medieval era for monks to write foul curses uh, on the pages of their books or on pieces of parchment and stuff and put them in the books so that if anybody did steal one of these valuable tomes, they were cursed to hell. And that's where um, the kind of crux of the story for Message in the Bottle came from because it's about um, a young man who discovers a, a bottle and inside is a piece of paper and there's a very mysterious Latin phrase written on the piece of paper. And that uh, turns out to be uh, a cursed, a, a, a book curse. I was just thinking, actually, I might go to Waterstones and chain a copy of White Pines to the Wall and it's like, why copies of white pines are just flying off the shelf? We, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> we just we have to pin this down. Uh, maybe wait until I fixed all the typos in the first chapter. That'd be good. No. <laughs> There's just loads oh. of typos in it, <laughs> which I, which missed the final edit. Um, but yeah, I like the concept of historical horror. It's something that I'd really like to explore a bit more. Um, and I had I have real fun with it. It's it's fun to read about ancient curses and in um in Bath Spa in the town of Bath. There are there's a museum connected to the the spa and 
there are sheets of lead curled lead with Roman inscriptions on them. The Romans used to inscribe curses on for people that they hated and sort of fold them up and throw them into the spa, into the waters of the spa. Mm. And there's a kind of an appeal to the gods. And there, there are all sorts of like trivial things. It's, you know, jealous girlfriends and neighbours that they've fallen out with and the tax man. And it's brilliant. And the theme of a curse is, has been in our history for so many thousands of years um, and I love that, and I think I'd like to explore that a bit more. Because so. mm-hmm. mm. you even see that in the HBO series of Rome. Yes. Uh, where uh, the the lead was inscribed and then actually put into a crack in the building yeah. of um, of the recipient of the curse. Yeah, I loved that series. That was awesome. Mm. Very uh, sexy, if I remember. Yeah. It was pre-Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, really. I just, just finished watching The Great, which is all about Catherine the Great, and, and there's so much sex in that. But whenever a man goes down on a woman, it's treated as very novel and something that just doesn't ever well, happen. Well, it might not have done quite so commonly back then. I don't know. Catherine, wasn't she Wasn't she the one that had lots of things with horses? Yeah. There was, uh, that's the great rumour. Um, and she, uh, it was rumoured that she died having sex with a horse. Uh, but in, in the show, they start that rumour long nice. before Nice. <laughs> well, I hope so, because it'd be a really boring TV show, wouldn't it? <laughs> One thing I quite liked about this story is when you sent me the script, you said, oh, well, you know, the, the character of the partner could be a man or a woman, um, you know, as it should be, because, you know, it's not like, oh, Gemma, I need you to write a gay couple. Ah, oh, excellent. I can whip out all of my um, Kenneth Williams quotes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I think um, yeah. So, full full disclosure for the listeners at home: we've actually recorded this conversation once before, and I remember covering <laughs> this point off before. But because we recorded it at the same time as Drunk Ghost Stories Three, David and Mark both told me to get drunk, so I did, and then I forgot to hit record. So um, that didn't survive. So we are going back over this for the second time. And I think what I said um, the first time around, um, and then I've been thinking about that more since. So it's quite good, actually, because I've had time to think about that point a little bit more and formulate a slightly more cogent uh, answer than the last time you asked me <laughs> when I was pissed. Um, <laughs> is that I'm, I think with a lot of the stuff that I write now... Um, one of the things I've noticed in the way that I write stories, and perhaps part of that is because of writing for the No Sleep podcast and, and leaving things fairly open um, for them because you never really know whose recording schedules are free. Um, but also I like to leave characters open to interpretation, individual interpretation. So when I write at the moment, I, I tend to find that I leave a lot of the physical details of a person out and the characteristics of them out. So I may say if they're male or female, I might not. Um, I tend to not really discuss skin colour too much or um, sexuality or, you know, I mean, obviously if there's a, a couple and they're in a relationship, it's fairly obvious. But I try and keep the personal details fairly light Um because I do think, particularly with audio drama, it's a really good opportunity to just see what happens, just see who gets the script and see what they do with it. Um, and I like that. And I'm looking, I'm, I haven't heard the story yet, but I'm looking forward to hearing what David does with uh, David mm. and Eddie um, playing both characters at the same time. And I like the dynamic of um, a male couple as well. It's a slightly different dynamic, I think, from uh like a, a female female couple or a male female couple or non-binary couple it's just i think the dynamics are slightly subtly different depending on how you read it 
Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Also, not forgetting Baxter the dog, who, who was, David also you know, plays. <laughs> does, well, I was going to ask. <laughs> who, who, are you? in my mind, was more of a Labrador? If that helps, it doesn't because when I'm getting the sound files, I just get whatever dog I can get. I can just go for big or small dog. And oh, you take so much pride in your work. I, I love do. that. <laughs> no, um, David does do a good job of playing the entire cast. Uh, I was going to play the stranger who finds the bottle on the beach at the end, but I thought, you know what? Why not just have it an all David? extravaganza give the people what they want it's an opportunity to display his versatility yeah i quite like hearing david bicker with himself as well (laughs) (laughs) like he doesn't send me them like oh okay this is all of eddie this is all of david um it's just him going get out of bed you lazy bastard (laughs) no i'm not getting out of bed it's death comfy (laughs) and um thank you He's just bickering with himself. <laughs> I can imagine David walking around his house at home doing that anyway, though. <laughs> just, I do. I, I walk around my house and talk to myself constantly when I'm on my own. It's uh, it's how I thought, I, how I sort things out in my head. Yeah. Um, particularly when I'm recording in, in the in the booth as well, I chunter away to myself, and then I have to spend about forty minutes editing out all the chuntering. Well, when you sent me the recording for "Blessed Be the Man," there, I think there was some. Um, construction work going on outside and every now and again I would just hear Gemma stop going I'm going to die in this booth but I guess it's like when I record the intros to the to these episodes I actually have to do them at midnight in my bedroom because uh, until the house is finished being redecorated and my recording booth is done there's so much traffic on the front street that I can I I, I have to edit this out when we're in the discussion so I get that mm, I have a pigeon that likes to sit on the chimney and the chimney breast is right next to the booth so all you can hear in like intervals when I'm not talking is a, is a pigeon going coo <laughs> in the background. Bastards. I hate pigeons. <laughs> there, there, I live near a an RAF training um, facility, nice. so occasionally <laughs> I, I will hear... This is Foley in the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like me when I'm having sex. Um, I, I've been told, I don't know, I'm not present really. That's staying in. That is staying in. Ah, Gemma, that was excellent. You did sound like a sad cat. But yeah. It's because I am a sad cat, Mark. I'm such a sad cat. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> Once more with feeling. Um, talking of sad cats and outsides, but I, I, I'm sure I've told this story before, but why not uh, do it again? The the time I was in India and uh, trying to record with no windows because wow. we don't want windows in hot countries, and uh, two kittens outside the door that desperately wanted to come in. Yeah, that was that. That was an interesting six months of no. recording. Why were you recording in India? Oh, because I was part of a load of audio dramas, and oh, I, see. Uh, so I was you just away for your... six months. Uh, I bet India is the least quiet country in the entire planet. Pretty much, yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> like, it was a challenge remember. to a find somewhere, b find somewhere that was remotely padded-ish. Yeah. Uh, and c. Um, yeah, be able to keep up with everything. I think we need a we need a full cast. Obviously, David Alt, but the other meaning of full cast drunk stories. <laughs> I think. 
everybody. Do you know it how hard that would be to it edit? Be or, or like do um, like a live recording mm. with everybody, perhaps a, with a few drinks. I feel like David's been speaking to you off camera. Yeah. No, is that what was that your oh, idea? Oh yeah, yeah. As well? I want to do a live stream. This is oh, really it? fucking. Subtle. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I'd love to do a live stream. Yeah, let's do that. I'd love to do that. <sighs> Come on, Mark. Come on, Mark. Oh. Come on, people love it. You see how they eat up the mm-hmm. no sleep stuff? They love it. <sighs> yeah, I know, but we're not like we don't have the same listenership as. No Doesn't sleep. matter. It's Yet. all good exactly. content, and if people find your podcast through YouTube as a mm-hmm. result as well. Then it's more Look, if people listeners. want a live show, let like bombard me on Twitter, and you may change my mind. David's keen. Apparently, Gemma's keen. Right, I'm going to tweet keen. now. Who else? Oh, of course, now. Jake's keen. Would people <laughs> like <laughs> to see a live stream performing a live script? Because I could make that my next script. Hooray! Like. And then you can also release that on your pod channel as well like the audio of that on the podcast channel and then it's if, extra if content listeners listen very carefully they can hear my arm being twisted <laughs> <laughs> tweet sorted hmm. but there's no Gemma this is this is a fixed poll <laughs> this is like George Bush's election win there's no no <laughs> Where is the Al Gore option, Gemma? Because you, Where have, to, is Al you Gore? have to think positive about these things, don't you? There you go, you've got Pos- a vote. Positive affirmation. Well, I'm used to everything I vote for not going the way I want these days. So. Mm. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. Democracy is a wonderful thing, except when it doesn't work for us. Yep. <laughs> Tyranny of the majority. <laughs> So, uh, Gemma, I know one thing that you talked about in the last one was how Jumanji had influenced you and the scene on the beach. Yeah, and so, yes, so the the final scene of the story where um, the the curse in the bottle is, the curse has been rebottled and flung back into the ocean and a poor unsuspecting individual picks it up. Um, there was always, I always loved that, the idea from the original Jumanji movie of this kind of cursed board game and I just love the idea of this like um, indestructible curse that just went on and on and on, and the idea of of things being handed down from person to person or generation to generation, and um, and that the final scene in Jumanji where the board game washes up on a beach in France, and two unsuspecting small French children pick it up, and <laughs> and it's just I loved that idea that it would just carry on ad infinitum and just go round and round and round forever. Um, and I think that's that's something with curses as well. That there's that there seems to be no time frame on curses. I think a lot mm. of the the ghost stories you read and the horror stories where curses are central to it. And the, um, like the movie uh, Drag Me to Hell, which is a really good example mm. of a kind of a gypsy curse. And oh, I'm trying not to say it, but a lot of people listening will know I have to share this. Drag Me to Hell is based on M.R. James's Casting the Runes. Oh God, okay. Do you feel better now? I feel better. Okay, good. Yeah, I feel like I've just had a bowel movement. <laughs> <laughs> that explains yeah. how you feel about casting the runes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but the idea is that she feels like she's defeated the curse at the end. The main that the girl feels that like she's defeated this curse at the end, and then you find out in the final spoiler alert that she hasn't. And I love that that enduring sense that. 
words and cursed words and evil words just go on and on and on forever. Um, and I, mm. yeah, I think there's something quite chilling about the idea that you can never win against that sort of thing. So it's just potluck as to whether or not you stumble <clears throat> across it. Um, mm. And yeah, they, they they do the same in It Follows, which has very similar yeah. themes to um, Drag Me to Hell, where the the couple walking at the end, there's there's someone following them in the back, and of of course it could just be a normal person, mm. but it could also be the sexually transmitted ghost. <laughs> it's a very good film. That there's. Uh, one of the scariest, oh, one, of, one of the scariest scenes I think I've ever seen. And also, uh, you have things like The Ring as well, yes. which which has the same idea of if you yeah. stumble across the videotape, then you yep. have to copy M. it. Ah, and... James. <laughs> yeah, the um the the Japanese version recently was available to rent on uh, Google Play. It's had not been available for for years, and I've had it on my watch list because I haven't seen it since I was about eighteen, nineteen. Mm. And uh, I rewatched it. God damn, that film holds up so well. Oh, yes. It's just, mm. I think for me, one of the defining moments of my like younger years when I was getting back into horror. And then I remember I was at university and I was watching Ringu with a, with a friend of mine in my small room and it was pitch dark. And the scene <laughs> where, um, is it Sadako? I think it's Sadako. She um, crawls out of the television that kind of seminal scene that that you know mm. one that everybody knows and the first time i saw that it was just the most chilling thing i think i've <laughs> yes. ever seen on in a movie and it just stayed the imagery stayed with me and it's been done so many times since it's just doesn't really have it's been it's ruined, been ruined. By scary it just doesn't, yeah, has as many things but it just doesn't have the same effect on you anymore but um the first time I saw it at the tender age of nineteen, twenty, however old I was, it had such a lasting mm. effect on me. Mm. Uh, just a brilliant piece of filmmaking, such an original concept. And yeah, the idea of curses that just keep going around like the ring cycle just forever and ever and ever. Um, and interesting then yeah. that it, it's that is one of those um, examples of someone using an everyday object Mm. Uh, to 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 make a massive impact. So there, it was the TV, yeah, yeah. and the video, and and something coming on. Uh, one yeah. of the I know I know that uh, Mark is going to um, leap up at this, but uh, uh, one of the things about Doctor Who in its early years was the fact that the police boxes <clears throat> were everywhere, and so that mm. was a that was a way of of providing that sort of fantastical escape for kids you know this was something it didn't look yeah. like a spaceship it looked like something that was on the corner of the street An everyday object An i'm really glad you object. said that as i think i think as i write more and more short stories and short stories are, are probably my comfort zone over novels i think a lot of my short stories are based around the concept of an object and mm. just an everyday object mm. being somehow disastrous in some way shape or form so I, I wrote a story that not many people like called uh, Jack in the Box and it was about a Jack in the Box that a man bought for his wife and just other things I, I'm writing one at the moment about um, it's called a single set of silver spoons and it's about an antique set of spoons because I think objects mm. are so evocative mm. um, and and there's a whole um discussion around personalization and there's lots of different words for it but the idea of imbuing um uh, uh characters and themes into inanimate objects um is is a long-standing one in literature and i i'm obsessed with it i love the idea of personalizing the inanimate and giving it a sinister aspect and giving it something 
that that you wouldn't think of, you know, to like a key, keys mm. are another one. Keys mm. are very mm-hmm. uh, evocative symbology that you, that props up all over the place, and jewelry and lockets and mm-hmm. and I think with this story as well, I, it, it's the idea of the message in a bottle. It's a really simple object, you know. Mm-hmm. You might just come across it on the beach as it's washed up, and your life changes, and your arm falls off and you get swept away by the ocean. <laughs> and your husband and of, dies. And of course, who but... wouldn't pick up a bottle that that it, that looked like it had been in the sea for ages and then take it yeah. home and wash it and, and open it and see what's in, inside. It's just one of those things where you yeah. you would do it. You would. And I think that's where my mm. obsession with archaeology comes from as well because I love the idea of objects from the past. Mm. Swords and jewellery and costume and artefacts. Like, I just... Um, I'm writing a novel about a series of objects at the moment and each one is a significant object in a person's life and they're displayed in a kind of gallery on a, on a pedestal and it's it's all about how your your brain also throughout the course of your life your brain automatically fixes on some things that are more significant than others so throughout the course of your mm-hmm. life you'll wander through the world and you'll you'll take in thousands if not millions of objects none of which really mean anything to you it's just noise but there'll be a few things in your life that you have that you've kept in a memory box or that are really significant to you that your brain pulls to the forefront and that your consciousness fixates upon and I think that as a storytelling device is just something I'm just desperate to explore a bit more it's really fascinating to me Mm. Um, there's a there's a word for it and I've forgotten the word because all my research is on a different document but there's a there's a word for why the brain selectively focuses on some objects preferentially over others Um, and it's apparently Mm. a survival technique as well so when mankind was developing you know their their hunting skills and all the rest it it teaches you how to focus on the things that might be a threat or might be of benefit to you over the things that aren't so it's like a cultural meme well, uh, like in that a, respect i guess so yeah um mm. stephen king has this um theory of sorts that he puts into some of his books which i absolutely adore which is like if if enough bad things happen in a place that place will soak up yeah almost yeah, soak it up, and like the, like the Marsden House and Salem's Lot, and of course the Overlook mm. in The Shining, mm. and I love that, and it, it's it's such a a good concept. It's very hard not to, um, uh, for lack of a better word, steal. So- <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, you, you definitely feel that. Uh, for instance, in the workhouse in Ripon, there is there is definitely that a very. Mm. It's it's not a nice feeling going in no. there at all, and and even uh, sort of seventy years. Oh no, hang on. It was used as a as an old folks home right up until the 1970s, I think. Yeah. Um and it was the the last time it was used as a workhouse was 40 50 years, but so it's been almost a century since it was a workhouse, but even then the 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 feeling doesn't go away. And well, how much of that as well is is because we know that bad things took place there. Mm, um true, and true. then we imbue it our, with our own like um sense of atmosphere. A perceived atmosphere and how much of it is because perhaps there is a resonance of some sort or um mm-hmm. and i think so if you look at um you know again going back to the classical text like charlotte perkins gilman and the yellow wallpaper she wrote an entire horror story about a woman going insane um and suffering from ptsd or postnatal trauma or whatever mm. it was based around some wallpaper you know, and it, it, it's mm. the idea that 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 the wallpaper came to life in her brain, and or the, the woman who was creeping behind the mm-hmm. pattern, um, and it's such an it's such an effective and simple pl- like writing device is to just fix on an object, 
and and make that the, the crux of the story. And I love that. I love that idea. This may be um, a damning a damning analysis of my own ego, but I wrote a story in Durham Cathedral for Shadows at the Door, the anthology, available now. And <laughs> and I, I did so much research. I did a ridiculous, unnecessary amount of research for this story. And I found like this little secret about the cathedral, which I put into the story. And whenever I have since visited the cathedral after writing this story, I feel a bit creeped out. And it's like, it's my mm. own fucking story. Yeah. And, yeah, and someone goes, oh, we're off to see the cathedral. I'm like, careful of the ghost. <laughs> You've layered your own mythology onto the place, and now that yeah. affects how you perceive it. And this is why I think ghost tours and stuff are so effective. If you go to a haunted house knowing you're going to go on a ghost tour, you're already uh, you're tuned in. You're primed. And maybe this is why seances were so uh, popular and um, successful back in the day as mm-hmm. well, because you, you were deliberately sitting down to communicate with the dead. Um, so you'd opened yourself up to that possibility, which made you much more susceptible to believing it mm-hmm. um, before you'd even, you know, heard the the, the oohs and the ahs and the, <laughs> the breeze through the curtain and all the rest of it. And there is the there's there's the notion of the tulpa as well, uh, where mm. people's belief creates the thing itself. Yes. You know, Slender Man is considered to be a modern day tulpa. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so speaking of Ilana, she's got an absolutely beautiful voice. I was very impressed. Yes, so Ilana is not only an actor, but a singer-songwriter. And uh, I'm very much a fan, and she kindly allowed me to use uh, two of my favourite tracks in the episode. And it's, it's just such a shame that I had to record me scrubbing a bottle over it. I had to add reverb so it sounds like it's coming from like a Bluetooth speaker. And then David's grumbling over it. But if you listen very carefully, you can hear it. Or better yet, why not purchase the music from Alana? I would really suggest checking out Alana's stuff because uh, it's just it's incredible, and uh, I'm always awed by the talent in in the company I keep. Uh, you know, like Jem is a fantastic writer and is now also a very good voice actor as well. And um, yeah, you know, like um, so I can send a chance. As Jake is such a nice guy, and if you talk to him, he's got such a nice Arthur Darville voice, and then yet he sounds like a right bastard in Slender Chances, and and David's just a chameleon of the voice how does that work this is is, um for anybody not aware this is mark groveling because he was very mean to david earlier on in case it doesn't make the cut (laughs) no Um, it wasn't no i wasn't he mocked him and now he is trying to get back into david's good books and david is having none of it (laughs) i don't need to get into david's good books not after the moments we've shared the walls have gone up you've got some scaling to do Well, no, it's like you do write for yourself, but then if somebody else turns around and says, I loved what you did, I mean... Oh, yeah, but that's different. That's a part That's part of the process. But if you sit down and then tailor everything to what you think people will like rather than what you want to write, then that's not really being true to yourself. If you desire writer, people's approval, you will always be their prisoner. 
Exactly, David. Ooh. Exactly. There we are. It's not about seeking approval. But it's about at the you same time, you. if people want to tell me I'm pretty now and again, that's fine. Well, okay. Well, you are pretty, except oh. when you're in a real grump like you are this morning. Like Roald Dahl said, if you think nice things, they will shine out of your face like sunbeams. Roald Dahl was also an anti-Semite, but I get he it. Was, <laughs> he was. But the point is... <laughs> and he invented the concept grumpy, of gremlins and aeroplanes. Oh. Oh, he did. Yeah, because in World War Two. Uh, when planes would break and they didn't know what was um, causing the problem, uh, I think they would say it was Gremlins. And Roald Dahl wrote a movie about Gremlins for Disney, which uh, I don't think ever got released or it's not ever since been wow, re-released. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, because he was in the army. And then, of course, Richard Matheson uh, came up with one of my favorite ever short stories, uh, which then went on to be in The Twilight Zone. The Twilight the- Zone, yes. The that's Twilight yeah. Zone, The Gremlin. Um, Variations of that have come out since, yeah. So, this, listeners, is what happens when you get three people who are friends, but also somewhat colleagues, to record. You get a fucking nightmare of a conversation to edit. So, I do hope you've enjoyed this one, because I haven't edited it yet, obviously, but it's going to take some time. It's going to be really boring as well. (laughs) Apologise in advance. No, it won't be boring. Terribly boring. Just, you know, all of the scandalous stuff had to be taken out. Yeah, the orgies and the... Hmm. But, Mark, what can listeners expect in two weeks' time? That's the question. Ah, well, in two weeks' time, we have... um, I don't know what to say about this one. Um, In two weeks' time, listeners can look forward to an episode guest starring... Erica Sanderson. No Mia French cameo for her this time. She's the star of the show. Woo-hoo. And um, there's going to have to be a hell of a disclaimer at the beginning of that one, I think. So, so content warnings at the end of this uh, podcast for the discussion that's just gone. Content warnings for the beginning <laughs> of the next podcast for what is to come. So um, it only really remains for us to say thank you to Gemma for writing uh, the story and for coming on and uh, sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you for having me, boys. I do like talking to you. Thank you, Gemma. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. Never a chore. (laughs) And Mark, thank you very much for uh, all of your uh, production and thank you in advance for the amount of time you are going to be spending on this discussion. (laughs) And to uh, all of you listeners at home, thank you for listening, thank you for sharing, uh, and for uh, telling your friends about Shadows at the Door, the podcast, and of course for leaving all of your wonderful five-star reviews. Thank you very much mm. for that. Can't wait for that live stream. Indeed, yes. And, and look out for more news about the live stream. <laughs> Coming soon. <laughs> I hate you all. <laughs> You've been listening to a Shadows at the Door production. Story by Gemma Amore. Performances by David Alt. Score by Nico Vitesi. Production by Mark Nixon. Music tracks Out of This and Play Nice, copyright Ilana Charnel, and used here with her kind permission. Production copyright Shadows at the Door Publishing 2020. Story copyright of the author. If you enjoyed this production, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll see you very soon.
Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Seven ribs are completely fused. And you have no idea where this came from? No. She was sent here anonymously. Mm-mm, not she. They, maybe? Wait. I've never seen anything like this. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. My grandfather was a journalist back in the 60s and 70s. He specialized in strange stories. Who are they? How are they connected to the skeleton? Play the tape. You'll see. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. We dream about it. We both dream about it. How often?